of uh, First Timothy, and uh, we want to capture again the uh, scripture, the thought that we have been taking. And I want somebody to read for me First Timothy three fifteen out loud. I'd like for somebody to get for me Hebrews chapter three, one through six. Who'll get for me First Timothy? Uh, Mr. Kaler, and who'll get for me Hebrews three one through six? Uh, Mike, if you'll do that for me. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. We've been studying, for those of you who may be visiting uh, for the last several weeks, a series of studies entitled God's House, very informative and uh, very challenging and leading us into new areas of understanding in, in Scripture. And I wonder if uh, somebody could give us the five key words that will help us to understand the structure of the house of God, God's house. Somebody like to give us that, Cindy? House, okay. Five, okay. The household. The householder. The servant. And the steward. Can you define those for us, uh, Cindy? What do we mean by the house? Okay, we uh, primarily is the physical structure, and what about the household? These are the people that are in the house, and what about the householder? He's the owner or the uh, ruler. Okay, and what about the servant? They're the servants, okay? That's good. And what about the steward? Manager, the ruler, okay, the administrator. Okay, that's very good. And uh, those are the basic the structure points that we want to continue to remember because they're keys to understanding the entire study. Okay, what did we find out in this that the house of God is as far as it uh, has to do with the uh, concept in Scripture, the house of God? What is the house of God? Mr. Caleb. The body. Okay, which body? The body in the morgue? The body out on the beach? What body? The what? Okay, that has a hippie ring to it to me. You're not far off, but it, uh, we need more than that. Uh, Dick? Okay, or the church. The assembly, the ecclesia is the Greek word, or the church. Very good. You were right, Mr. Kaler, but unless that has to do with an assembly, why, we're off on a trip. We got Jesus in our bag. Okay, very good. And so why is God building this house? Uh, Monica? So he can live in it and make an expression from it or a habitation of God through the Spirit. That's what we learned last weekend. Very good. You folks are encouraging me as a teacher. Okay, 1 Timothy 3.15. Let's uh, have that. Uh, would you read that in a loud, clear voice?
Okay, so that you'd know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of God. This is the pillar and ground of the truth. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Okay, this uh, passage of Scripture gives us tremendous insight into a number of principles that we've been learning, and this begins to unfold all the time. This morning, we want to take and study uh, with you for a moment God's households, or we could uh, give a terminology that might help us to uh, lock in on a little better, God's house folk, God's house folk. We want to study that as a uh, concept this morning and uh, lock in on that for our understanding and give us uh, a little bit. We'll, we'll spend about three weeks, perhaps, studying some facet of this, and it'll be very interesting to you as we begin to unfold this. Okay, let's get a structure reminder now this morning. We have the, uh, the, uh, the house manager, the steward. Uh, the Greek word is oikonomos. This is the, uh, this is the overseer. And uh, remember that this is the manager, the steward, the administrator. He's placed over God's oikos, or God's house. And as such, he has a responsibility. It involves the power to act. It uh, involves the power to make uh, decisions. It involves the... Uh, the uh, the metering out or the managing, the overseeing of the household. And uh, the, he does this on behalf of the husbandman or the ruler or the owner of the household. And knowing when he does this, he's going to have to give an account of his action. So we have then uh, this structure reminder. And remember that we talked about Revelation 3, 7, uh, the key of David. Uh, this is an obscure... Uh, passage of Scripture that we have no understanding of except we understand the principle of the, of the steward, the house manager who had the keys to the stores and who, uh, whose responsibility it was to uh, administrate the meals, to feed the household, to, uh, to uh, regulate the dispensing of all that had to do with the household. And so we, ha we remember we locked that in with Second Samuel 7, 1 through 29, God's promise to David. That he, would, uh, that he would build him a house. Then we found that Jesus Christ was the, uh, the, uh, the administrator, the chief administrator, steward of that house. And then we become that house, uh, according to Hebrews 3. And then Acts 15, 13 through 18, we uh, found out that this involved God's purpose in the earth to take out of the Gentiles a people for his name. Then in Matthew 16, 17 through 19, we touched last week, uh, on, the, on Jesus saying to, key, to Peter uh, as uh, one of the apostles uh, and believers, the foundational principle for all believers that they that believe in Jesus Christ, because they have that revelation, he says, I give you the keys to the kingdom of God. Okay, it's very important that we understand that structure. Now, what we want to study this morning is those who form the community in God's house, as it is, are the households, and these who form this community in God's house become God's people. They're the people within the house. They're called God's okio. These are Greek words, but it's God's household or God's house folks. And the word that we're going to begin to lock in on is a word that you, is very important to you, 
It's the word laos from which the church has derived the term laity. Okay, God's house folks, or the people within that house, making up the believers in Jesus Christ are the laos, which means the people. Now, we want several scriptures, and we're going to begin to get some very rich understanding of what we have. I want First Peter 2, 4 through 10. Somebody over in a loud, clear voice, Dan Atherton. I want Hosea 1, 10. Uh, Jerry Miller. I want Romans 9, 25 and 26. Somebody over in this section, this center section. Uh, Sister uh, Malinowski, Romans 9, 25, 26. I want Hosea 2, 23. I had somebody in the back. Uh, Danny uh, Brown. Okay, we want to begin to get an understanding now of this terminology, God's people. What does it mean when we say God's people? When we use the word or the frame people, it is the word laos. That's the word that's used. God's people. Who are God's people and how do they fit into the scheme of God's household as it pertains to the revelation of Holy Scripture? 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a peculiar people. The word peculiar means a people of his own treasure. In times past you were not a people. But are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained Mercy. This is a tremendous passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture is repeated in the book of Romans, chapter 9. And we're just going to pull out a couple of verses, but you can study it on through your own, clear on through the end of chapter uh, 9 of Romans. This passage of Scripture is alluded to and woven into the New Testament revelation of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Rochelle, will you read for us Romans 9, 25, and 26? Okay, in Hosea, he says it's referred, those who were not a people are not a people, now are a people, and those who before had no recognition are now called, they have that peculiar and specific designation as the people of God. Okay, Hosea 1.10, let's get that passage of Scripture now. Who has that? The number of the children of Israel should be as the sand of the sea. He's, he's making a tremendous statement. This is before any knowledge of the revelation of Jesus Christ and what he's going to do. This is before any revelation of the spiritual seed of Israel. The prophet speaks out and declares this, 
and he says, In the place it was said that you are not my people, there shall be called the people of the living God. Then we had Hosea 2.23. And I'll say unto them who were not my people, uh, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. This is all prophecy that's looking forward. I don't want several more scriptures before we open for discussion. Zechariah 13.9. Somebody over on this side. Uh, Denny, Zechariah 13.9. I want Ephesians 2.19. Uh, Ron Stewart. Uh, I'd like 1 Peter 4.17. Brother Van Dyke. Second uh, Timothy... 220, uh, Lee and Cindy, would you get for me Hebrews 9.10? And I need Titus 2.14. Somebody get that. Monica, would you get that for me? And so now we're talking about those who form a community within God's household. Now, this is a biblical revelation. <clears throat> we're moving from the Old Testament where the Jews were very clearly the people of God. God appeared unto Abraham and Ur the Chaldees, said, Come up. And I'll uh, bring you into a land uh, that uh, you've never seen. He finally is in the land. God begins to deal with a man. Then it becomes the family of Abraham to Abraham and his descendants. God said to him, I'll multiply your descendants as the, as the sa sa sand on the seashore and the stars uh, that are in the sky. Gave him uh, Ishmael, uh, Isaac rather, and, uh, and uh, he's born into his, uh, is the child of promise. Begins to multiply Abraham's household, that that. That uh, individual that believed became a tribe. That tribe became a nation. That nation became God's peculiar people or people of his own in the earth through whom he was working. And then it begins to multiply and there, it begins to be a, a purpose, begins to unfold of what God's doing in the earth through a people that are to be God's people. And so the community of God's people now began to move from the prophets. They begin to speak of God's people as being a people who were not formerly God's people. Are you picking that up now from the scripture that we have? And says these that had no claim to be God's people, they have no, no right to be in, in lineage, suddenly the prophets begin to prophesy and proclaim that in, in, the, in, the, in God's household there's going to be a people or a community or a laos, the people of God, and they're going to call on God as their God, and he's going to claim them as his people. Zechariah 13.9. And Ephesians 2.19. This is the uh, Apostle Paul writing to the believers in Ephesus who were Gentiles. And uh, he's writing unto them and he says, You no longer are strangers, but you're fellow citizens of the saints, with the saints, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Tremendous concept. You, you, you're, not, you're not getting the, the full impact. See, the, the Jews had become so exclusive that unless you were a Jew, all you were good for is to feed the flames of the fires of hell.
And that mentality does not miss the Protestant church in America too far. We have a tremendous vision for bless me. But start reaching out and start touching barefooted hippies and drug addicts and prostitutes and Mexicans and black people and people that don't fit into our social structure and the church just gets really, really nervous. See, the Four Square Church is a church that's peculiar in Prescott because that's what God's called us to, to let all these dirty kids and crummy people in here. But that's just our peculiar calling. Amen? But you see, that was God's purpose from the beginning, and this is what he's called the church to. You can go in the south, and if you're black, don't come in there. See, we, this just, a lot of us, this just is totally, we can't even grasp the concept. I was down in Alabama, preached a revival, and a big old black kid, about 23, come up and got saved, God love him, answered the altar call. I mean, they let him in. They didn't assault him. They let the kid in. And he got, he got saved that night, and he, and he bowed down and wept tears and, and just uh, received the gospel. And when he got through, I just grabbed him and just hugged him, and you could just feel a chill go. And I loved it. <laughs> I just love to make them feel bad. Amen. So you'll be astounded that the church really does not believe what it says it believes. It'll take missionary offerings to save the niggers in Africa and the spicks in Mexico. But don't let them come in our place because they might marry one of our girls. Hello, Jesus. Amen. All right, those are the Gentiles of our day. Those are the Gentiles of our day. And you talk about getting excited. See, uh, so one of our men uh, ran into a, a dissident that has left our church recently and said, what do you think about Mitchell going to Australia? Say, oh, I think that's great. It's the greatest thing ever happened. Well, I don't know. Must be something fishy about it if he's going over there. Those foreigners. See, the church really does not believe. See, down deep, it really does not believe. It really does not believe. And that's the peculiar thing in our entire fellowship is we have integrated congregations that receive anybody that come in and rejoice over them. And uh, we've been able to break down to some degree that young people that are in trouble, people that are in trouble, people that, uh, you know, that, that aren't the sharpest mentally, we embrace them, love them, make a place for them, and try to help them. And there are people functioning here today that, that if it wasn't for this church, they'd be in mental institutions right now. All right, those are the Gentiles of our day. Okay, enough on that. I'm getting to preaching. Okay. First Peter 4.17 Okay, here's the house of God. I wanted that because it talks about God's judgment and God's judgment 
his working, his manifestation of his justice in the earth begins with those who are his people who are the house of God. 2 Timothy 2.20. All right, here's the scripture again in, in uh, 2 Timothy. He's talking about in a great house. And here again is that concept that means nothing to us uh, unless we understand what we're talking about of God's house. Hebrews 9.10. I have a feeling either I missed or you missed. Hebrews 9.10. Have you got Hebrews 9.10? Okay, I just... I missed a scripture someplace. Titus 2.14. Who uh, uh, gave himself for us. It's, uh, it's uh, 8.10, send if you value. Who gave himself for us uh, and uh, that he might uh, redeem us from all iniquity. Titus 2.14. And purify unto himself a people, laos, zealous of good works. Okay, uh, Hebrews 8.10, Cindy. Okay, here he's speaking of the new covenant, and he's talking about what that new covenant is involves says, I'll be to them a God and they shall be uh, to me a people. Okay. Uh, do we have any... Are we triggering anything right about there? Are you getting the, the feeling of what we're talking about? All right. Here's a community. The community, are God's, the community of God's people within the household. These are God's house people. House folks are His people, which the Greek word is laos. Do we have any question we're triggering right about there? No question? Any comment? Uh, Ken, help him. Okay, the thing that, uh, that you begin to read as you discover this is that, that God's purpose always for Israel was a testimony and a witness in the earth that other peoples might come to him. Yes. And that, but they didn't do that. See, they became exclusive. They didn't want these chinks coming into their place. Exactly, the mentality. They didn't want any of them. They didn't want these dirty hippies in there playing rock music. They want these dangerous people that, are, that you get out of jail. Dear God, who knows? They may rob something from you. See, it's an exclusive society and today, the very same thing is in, is in the professing church of Jesus Christ. We're clustered together in four walls, holding out to the end. This is the fourth inside this building. Don't let those people come in. And if they come in, I have a suspicion. You just never know what they're up to. Are you getting the feeling of it? I always, though, as you begin to study, all these are scriptures, stretches clear on back, that God's people were for the purpose of making a witness to draw other people to himself. And you'll find that in, in the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament. Excellent question, Ron Stewart. 
Yes. Old as history. See, uh, Lincoln Street, we had no problem with dirty hippies and dogs because it wasn't a very nice place down there. You know, I mean, it's a crummy building. But now we move up into this place, and, and you know, we've got these guys, they're riding, uh, they're riding uh, motorcycles in here, and they get grease on their boots, and they got mud on their shoes, and they come in and pray in the morning, and you can find big clunks of, of debris. <laughs> and, uh, and then they chew gum. And the gum uh, never does go in a paper, and the, and the, it goes underneath the seat. And so they're defiling our property. And so pretty soon, the exclusive club of the saints say, and we don't, you know, these people cause, cause us a lot of trouble. Is, uh, we don't want them coming in, and it's just as old as time. And it's our responsibility to see that that does not happen. Now, I have to tell you what happens in any move of God uh, any move of God generates a centrifugal force, and a lot of people begin to be drawn to because everybody wants to do what everybody's doing. That's a human concept. You understand that? And so uh, anything that's made as much of a, of, a, uh, of a splash as what God's done here begins to draw in all kinds of people. They're drawn in it because that's the action place. That's where they like to go. And so churchy people are drawn into... And so uh, they like that for a while because everything's happening. But over the process of time, you see, they begin to get churchy. And, uh, and the thrill and the excitement of bringing people to Jesus and reaching out constantly to the Gentiles, as it were, leaves them, and then it becomes a bother to, uh, to have pastor always preaching on money, taking offerings, faith promises. Yeah, faith promises. Here we go again. Faith promises. I just hate faith promises. Well, the reason you hate it is you have no burden for souls. You love your padded pews and you love your facility. Ah, the Philippines. What are we all my pastors always gone to the Philippines? What are they doing over here? What are they doing over there? And so this attitude begins to, and I'll goad that. I love that because I'll pierce that and punch it and keep, just keep punching it until you either get right or you get out, one or the other. Because it's my responsibility to see that the church does not die and lose the vision. Now, those people, over a process of time, will finally, many of them leave, and many of them have left. Now, they'll give all kinds of things. They'll say, I don't love people. They'll say that we're not doing this, and they'll say, and all kinds of tales. But when it gets right down to the nitty-gritty, I'll tell you exactly what their problem is, is they don't like the, the vision of evangelism, reaching souls, and they hate revivals because it cuts into their TV time and their fishing time and their hunting time and their and their baseball time, and their Super Bowl time, and all the rest of the things that take their time. They really do hate what happens here because it demands a commitment. And so they come to church, and uh, they've missed revival. They've been laying out all week, and they come next Sunday, and sure enough, I spike them. All right, this is what happens in any move of God, and it's as old as history. And it has to do with the very thing that we're talking about this morning. It has to do with the Gentiles. Yes, Dwayne? Yep, these people, are, these people are not worthy of hearing the gospel. That's right. God had to give him three visions. One's not sufficient. Three times had to move on him and then blew his mind and he still didn't understand it. He said we ought to baptize them, but he still didn't accept them fully as being real converts to Jesus Christ. 
because his mind was hung up on religiosity. Exactly. Uh, Victor? That's right. That's exactly true. And, and we forget. See, we get, we get people, for instance, and, uh, and uh, they've been saved five years, and so somebody gets saved, and, uh, and they still, they're still stuck in the state, you know. Okay? Now, you ought to quit. But there's a time. You know, if you're still stuck in the state a year from now, well, something's wrong with you. You just, you know. But, uh, you know, we're spiritual. And so uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to nail on Monday. Sunday night to get saved money, we get him. Hey, yes, you understand in this house, you're going to smoke cigarettes. Well, you know, they're still battling. Man, they're hooked on the flesh. You know, cut a, cut a guy some slack. You can at least give him to Wednesday, you know. <laughs> a woman comes in, she gets saved, and she didn't know she's out in the world, been, been looking naked for five years, running that way. And so uh, she, she comes to church, and she's, she's not going to buy a new wardrobe on Monday when she gets saved Sunday night. But all the dear saints of God, they're going to get her and get her in the back room and say, Honey, we don't want you wearing those kind of clothes because you look awful. They're defiling our, our spiritual nature. See, we forget what we look like when we got saved. We forget how, how hard the, the flesh was moved into the world's appetites. And so we get super religious. See, this is what the problem was with the Jews. Scribes and Pharisees have their religious gods. Jesus is out uh, eating and, and, uh, and enjoying fellowship. And they said, he's eating and drinking with sinners. Remember? Okay, John, do you have a question? <laughs> 